for you. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Okay. I just wanted to make sure this was on. Um, so uh, you need to bear with us this morning because um, we're all very tired as parents, and so uh, who knows how this is going to turn out. I, I will say this. I, I feel like we have uh, really brought discouragement to the class, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we... we if some of you were thinking about conceiving another child, I'm sure we've served as a sense of birth control uh, and scared the willies out of you. And then just some of you, you know, ran from these classes, you know, uh, drinking. Um, but today is a, is, a, is a more fun, more upbeat topic. Some of the topics are heavy, but today is a more fun, upbeat topic. And, and as we reflect just about kind of our, our lives as parents, uh, one of the things that's really strong for us, one of the things we really believe in is this idea of markers. And so this is one of those where don't do as we've done. Find something in here that speaks to you and may be helpful for you or some of these things you may be doing already and pick up one or two of these tips. Uh, but hopefully these will be crazy practical for you. So the first is the idea of rites of passage, right? We've all heard of these things, rites of passage. Vanderbilt used to have, may still have a concert program for their students called rites of spring. This whole sense that, uh, you know, something happens that's special during a certain time. Uh, you may be interested to know, a little bit of trivia for you, that this, uh, this uh, European ethnographer named Arnold Van Genep discovered and, and first used this phrase, rites of passage, in his book uh, in 1909. And it was the first time that somebody had ever studied and, and, and looked at what cultures were doing to mark time, especially with children. And the thought was that a rite of passage moves a child from a certain group into another group or said slightly differently from a certain period of time or class of time into another group. And this is done uh, in all kinds of cultures. It's pretty fascinating. Um, in the Amish tradition, uh, it's said that at 16, the Amish will encourage a 16-year-old, especially male, to leave the Amish culture and go and do whatever they want to do at 16 years old. So here they've been helping their family on the farm or helping the family in the family kind of um, artisan business. And they're encouraged, go off and enjoy life. Enjoy society and electricity and all those things. And if the child comes back by the age, before the age of 26, then they're baptized and they're considered committed into the Amish culture. I think it's fascinating that the Amish allow you to kind of you can check out if you want to. You can leave. And reflecting back over our parenting, maybe we should have done that with a few of our 16-year-olds. It's offered them the chance to, to, to leave at that point, see how many of them came back on their own. But the, the thought is that it's something really special. There's, there's one culture in the Brazilian Amazon that weaves gloves for the male children at the age of 13 
out of this, these uh, highly dangerous kind of stinger ants. And they put the gloves on the hands of 13-year-old boys, and they're supposed to tolerate these gloves made of these kind of fire ants for 10 minutes as a rite of passage to mark their journey into manhood. Well, like I said, if you would like to pick up any of these tips and use them <laughs> at home, you just feel free to do that on your own. So a couple that we've used to mark time, some of you have heard this before, but uh, I don't know where Catherine has heard of this, but we use this uh, as, as kind of a technique. It's, it's, these are called our birthday banners. And uh, we do these till the child is 16, right? And it can go for 18. Yeah, you want, okay, you want to talk about it? No, you don't want to <laughs> You know it better. So they, they get candles till? Candles till they're 18. They, we pick their favorite thing from that year. Um, and it becomes... John does a lot of them. All the drawing ones John does. But. So when I was growing up, my mom used felt to make our Christmas stockings and stuff. And so I know this sounds so strange that this phrase has come out of my mouth. I'm not afraid of felt. <laughs> I don't know even why I said that. And so, but anyway, we, we do these, and so Will was kind of into his little cars and steering wheel, and Tom's tank engine, and the Batman, and Calvin and Hobbes, and his little uh, Pokemon Game Boy. And then at 16, he was really into... Uh, Milk and Oreos. Yeah, but uh, the, the yellow Oreos. What are they called? The golden Oreos. Golden Oreos, right? So anyway, there's one of these for each of our boys, and they're incredibly nerdy they're just like, like so like this is the closest we get well we're actually breaking on them several times but this is this is kind of home fun right and so they on their birthday we put the candle on there and the flame on there and they put it on so harry potter dc and uh lego bionicles and then these were these chocolate chip muffins that hank just had to have every morning for breakfast so they chronicled the child's life right That's, this, Hank, uh, when he was one, loved this like vibrating swing thing. That's the only way that he would go to sleep. Anyway, uh, the thought is to chronicle the, the child's life and to kind of get into this tradition, to mark this passage of time, to push them on to the next stage. And so to just uh, philosophize with you just for a moment, sometimes I feel like we're so caught up in driving them to the next soccer game or the next AU thing or you know trying to somehow get them to fit in socially that we don't just mark time with them as a family so that's my encouragement uh, in that regard and then the other thing that we have have saw this kind of inspiration is just what you're equipping the child with what you're speaking into their lives okay so uh, uh, John Trent and Gary Smalley, and that reminds me of that Saturday Night Live character, uh, Smalley, whatever his name is. But John Trent and Gary Smalley uh, wrote this book called The Blessing. And the thesis of this book, if you've not heard it, is, uh, and, and it's the same in, in uh, Wild at Heart for boys. I'm sure it's for girls as well, but, you know, we have four boys. And so the thought is that the child, especially the male child, <clears throat> is looking to ask this looming question that stalks them the rest of their life. In a pressure situation, when push, push comes to shove, do I have what it takes to be a man in that moment? In a pressure
pressure situation, which push comes to shove, do I have what it takes to be a man in that moment? And if you've heard Josh as he's talking about this personality series, and he's referring to the author, Ian Crone, and he refers to that jumping off of the high spot, right, on the cliffs, where, you know, the, the college kids are around, they say, wow, the kid's got big courage, you know, for jumping, remember that story? That's, that's a series, that, that's right on the concept of the blessing. If the child reflects, Dad, did you hear them? They said, I had big courage. And what uh, both of these authors are saying, it's the parent's responsibility to speak that blessing over the child. Yes, son, daughter, you have what it takes inside you. I believe in you. And the theme of Wild at Heart, part of that comes in the outdoors. Boys. It comes in the outdoors. He and his wife have written a contemporary piece for girls, but th this is kind of what's guided us. And so we have used this in our <clears throat> bringing up of the boys um, with these various traditions. So <clears throat> we do a camping trip at the age of nine and reread this book, okay? And we'll email out these book series if you're interested. But there's a series that are fascinating to me that are written by different authors. But this is going to, this is the first conversation we have with our boys about sex is at age nine. Now, you may need to, in this culture, dial it even earlier, but we believe in doing it at age nine. The theme that we do use on our, our camping trip is power under your control, and we give them a pocket knife, and inevitably they'll cut themselves that weekend uh, with the pocket knife. <laughs> And we let them drive a boat and we let them shoot a gun. And the thought is this concept of power under your control. And we read this picture book. And the reason we do it is because the authors who are PhDs have figured out a way to talk about body parts and sex in, in, in ways that are helpful to those of us who might be uncomfortable talking about that. Never will forget we, we took one group of dear friend of ours, family friend, always, always uh, <clears throat> like to take another dad and their son and we kind of just go through the whole ritual. It makes it less uncomfortable for the child. So some neighbor friends down the street, the Thorntons, whom we've just, our kids have grown up together, they have, a, they, they, they have like really bright kids, like they test off the charts and things like that. And we like to hang around them, hoping they'll elevate the <laughs> scores of our own kids. And so the Thorntons were with us and we were reading the book in the tent. We read this book by flashlight in the tent. It's so just like awesome. And we cook on the, on the fire and it's just awesome. And we let the boys start the fire and who doesn't like starting fires? And so um, we're reading the book and who was it? Was it Cole Thornton? Cole Thornton who's now at uh, Davidson. <laughs> just like off the charts grad at Davidson. We're reading the book and it's describing anatomy. Are you following me? And Cole likes to read ahead. That's just his deal, right? The Robertsons don't read ahead. We're looking at the pictures. And so Cole reads ahead and he goes, I know that word, Virginia. <laughs> Some of you will get it on the way home. That wasn't the word. Uh, then the second book we read is at age 12 and we do a rafting trip. Uh, over at the Okoe, and we, uh, I purposefully talked to the guides ahead of time and put, uh, we put our son at the uh, front of the row on the raft because if you know rafting, the front of the row has to set the tempo for the raft. And the way the guides usually do it, they make a big deal of the person who's either in the left or right front because they're kind of calling the shot. So 
the son doesn't know what's happening, and we just push them there, and so they've got to suddenly lead uh, as a 12-year-old, and uh, you know they're they're steering the raft. And then the last one that we do is at age 16, we do a man party, and uh, it's really simple formula. We ask the kids, um, the boys, to tell us the names of mentors, mentors, older older men who've been influences in their lives. And we invite them over the house, and I grill red meat because that's what men party would do, and we do baked potatoes. And the guys uh, bring notes of blessing, and they read them over the boys. And it's just this marker in time about they're becoming a man, even at 16. They're becoming a man. They may not be one, but they're becoming a man. And um, this is very powerful. And uh, it's a little bit emotional for me, I think, uh, maybe because I'm tired. Uh, but the reason it's so emotional is because of a couple things that we remember so vividly. Uh, in our house that we used to live in in Brentwood, we kind of had an open loft area. And the younger boys are not allowed to come to the man party. But if you're past age 16, you can come. So when Will had his, um, the night that Will had his, Will's our oldest. That night, Ben had kind of been watching and hearing from the loft. And after it was over, after the guests left, at age, I guess, 14, Ben brought us his list of who he wanted to invite to his man party two years later. That was really powerful. It's even more powerful when you hear the older brothers who are now invited read the blessing to their younger brother. And so both of my older boys, when they read their blessing to Jake, our third one, couldn't get through the letter that they've written um, without And, and, and know here. that the middle two of our boys are still trying to kill each other. So <laughs> the, that was very powerful that there was that kind of emotion. Yeah. So, so. so I'm, I'm going to pause just for a second and then, then uh, Monty and Tanya are going to talk about what they've done with their girls but any questions about that this, this isn't fancy other mentors of ours have, have related this this is just purposeful any questions or comments about that um, yes it sounds like there's a lot of dad boy stuff what's mom's role in well uh, she didn't do anything <laughs> <laughs> That's a great that question. That is a great question. Obviously, moms, uh, who asked that? As a mom, I'm with my kids more because I chose to stay home with them and I gave up my career. So I, I have a lot of um, time with them in the car and at home and to develop a relationship and, and all. I think for boys, it is, there is a time, and it's about this age, where those boys start pulling away from their mom. And they need to. Um, they they need men in their lives. Now, my college boys and my son out of college, they still call me, and we have a great relationship, but they need a man. And so I think it's really important as moms of sons that you recognize they, that there is something really special about those little boys, but they have to grow up, and there will be another woman in their life that's going to take, you know, be very important to them. 
And so I think these specific markers are real important to these. Now, I, I've taken them on a fall break trip, just me and my son. We've, we've done some things together, but the big markers have been with his dad. The other thing your question brings up is we're admitting at age 16 that uh, we're suddenly, as parents, going to become very unpopular just because of the stages they're going through. And so we're acknowledging that their coaches or their covenant group leaders uh, ha are taking a huge influence in their life. And we just want to validate, yeah, we're good with that. We're good with the covenant group leaders, their coaches taking a big influence in their life. And the other thing we, we kind of acknowledge, this is kind of breaking Amish here, is look, when you run away, if you're going to run away from the house, run to one of these guys. If you don't have the courage to ask me about girls and dating and further anatomy questions, run to one of these guys. Remember, they've helped pick these people. So um, if you're a single parent, I would just encourage you to purposefully seek out those mentoring relationships uh, because I believe that literature that I showed earlier really speaks to for guys, th th those relationships. Any other questions or comments? It is one of the, if you are a single parent, it is a beautiful thing to be in the youth group, have your child, your son in the youth group here because those covenant group leaders are highly, I mean, I'm looking at Stephen Jerkins yeah. right here. He was highly influential in my son's life. He served as a covenant group leader. Uh, Patrick Saunders, David Nowers Jr. I mean, these, these boys, my boys at 21 and 23 are still calling Scott Cole you know, wanting them at his wedding. So you can find men who will speak into their lives. Stephen also could speak more authoritatively about facial hair than I could ever. <laughs> so, uh, Monty and Tanya, y'all want to talk well, about some of your trips? I want to go back a couple slides. Okay, we do that. Yeah, because I want to. I got a story to I tell. Got you. About which one? Go back to the first one on the sex. Okay, this, good. The little pictures right there more, because more sex talk. this wasn't a part of the class. This is okay. free, but it is free. <laughs> so, I was listening to Dr. Laura Schlesinger at one point, and she said something about man, if you have not spoken to your kids about sexual sorts of things by the time they're eight, it's like already too late or nine or whatever the number was then. So I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> and so uh, we're we're actually at we were living in Indiana, Indiana, moved to Nashville, and then we moved back. But anyway, that doesn't matter. We were in Nashville at the time. I brought one of my girls to work with me, uh, my second oldest, and so I thought, well, this is a moment. We're gonna. Have, I got some space here. I don't have anything. No customers are coming in, and so I feel like. I do PhD work like this. Oh, really? Drawing pictures and <laughs> oh, describing nice. oh, things no. and all this kind of stuff. Right in my I mind, it was, it was PhD work. At the end of this conversation, which took at least an hour, my daughter says this, Daddy, I just want to know one thing. What is sex? At the end of the hour. I said, she wasn't ready for that talk. <laughs> she wasn't ready for that one, so... Pass that one on by. She had no idea what I was talking about. That's how good I was at it. So anyway, go on. <laughs> Ultimate failure. Um, so one of the one of the things that uh, I, I don't even know where the probably from her Tanya comes up with all, all the ideas, but we decided when our girls were seniors that I would take them on a trip to a place of their choice, um, and. 
three out of the four chose New York City and the other one chose Boston. And we would um, you know, fly there on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, there we go. On a Friday afternoon and we would see a musical and we would just walk all over town and use the subways and go to Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Uh, that was one of my actually favorite parts of the on Sunday and then fly back Sunday evening or so. But it was it was one of those things that um, was incredibly important, I think, well, f for all of us, but it, it marked again that they were a senior, but it also was a time in life, it, it, we always talk about these stories, but in each one of their cases, it may have been a time in life where they weren't like, maybe not even getting along with me all that well, <laughs> especially number one. Um, but for those two days, on each one of them, they walked with me arm in arm. And there was no stress. There was no, it was all just us being together and enjoying the time and joining. And it was just, uh, it was just amazing. And so to me, that marked their time as, as growing up, but it also marked a place in time that says, you know, dads and daughters love each other and will always love each other. And it's it's just clear for that, you know. And you brought up, well, it'll go. I'll go, I'll come back to that. There's a you had a good question because I wanted to speak to that one too about because a lot of these things will. There's a lot of things that are daddy daughter here because it's the dad but the daughter's like the next one, which was what's the next one? Okay, do you want to say this yeah. or do? Yeah. yeah. And then we'll. So for our girls, we didn't make banners, and on their birthday they got um, we. Tried to make it a special day. They started out with breakfast in bed mm -hmm. and just tried to make that day special for them. And the way we marked it, because we have girls, they got um, charms on the charm bracelet. So every year was something different. And actually, we ended up doing more. Bailey started out with just a small charm bracelet and then went to the... Um, Pandora bracelet. So she has a lot of charms on hers. So that's kind of how we did with our girls. And on the talks and everything, um, we didn't do a certain age, just kind of when our girls, we felt were at that point or were asking questions, we tried to answer what they were asking. And normally I tried to take them maybe a dinner by themselves and then shopping or doing something that was just us when we had those talks. Um, and then, Mommy, do you want to talk about your bra your necklace? And Monty would give the girls different gifts along the way that meant different things. I always so. tried to tie things to have meaning. To me, it's important to have meaning about stuff. So, uh, you know, this was a necklace that I gave for one of the, I don't know which occasion, Christmas, birthday, Valentine's Day, Halloween, I don't know. Halloween. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. But it has a picture of uh, me and, and the child at their probably three-year-old mark or something like that. But it was really, you know, and, and you know, it was about Proverbs 4.23 about guarding your heart. You know, that that's a precious, something precious for you. And we have, and, and I'll help you in that, but you have to guard your heart, that sort of thing. And at some other occasion, which I don't remember again either, because they're, I'm getting too old. But I gave them each one of these rings, and I know that with that, you know, the purpose was 
to say that I'm going to love you no matter what. No matter whatever happens in your life, your dad, your mom, we're going to have your back. You know, we're going to, we're going to love you. And, you know, that's, I know we all say that as parents, but it's an incredibly important message, I think, for, for kids to hear because they're going to go through a lot of, a lot of stuff that they may not feel loved or they may not feel lovable and they may, well, we're going to share a story later that I'll think really may, well, you'll understand this, but if they, they have to know that their parents are a safe place, that their parents are a place that they can, they can know that they're going to be loved no matter whatever happens in their lifetime. So, uh, and the next slide, and this is where I was going to really talk to your question because in some ways, a lot of these gifts and the trips and all these types of things were, you know, some of the bigger things that I did with my girls. And you, you could almost ask the same question in a sense, but, you know, Tanya was there in, in everything. I mean, she was at the school and she was teaching and she was decorating and she was baking and she was, but the, the thing, and I've asked a number of my girls, so what are some of these markers that you might, that you might say, and they all just, talked about it was in the small things just showing up just being present just you know when they were having the bad day and Tanya would take them to lunch and that's what they remember you know they probably didn't remember the philosophical stuff that I come up with I don't know but they remember that she was there for them and anytime that they still have bad moments they're they're definitely going to come to her rather than me I'm not as sympathetic but anyway um, I wish I were it's just not in um, but just showing up and being present, you know, uh, you can't replace that. So when Monty thought of that concept of showing up, I, I, I have to be really vulnerable here with you and tell you that uh, each child has this language that they speak, and you can get them, if, you, if you'll find it, you can find this really rich zone of communication, this moment of communication. And especially for our second son, Ben, who is, um, who wants to be a music producer, music engineer, he, when I would get him to do his playlist, and even to this day, it'll still work. Hey, what songs are you listening to? Some, something triggers, and he just opens up. It's especially helpful if they're driving. So with our oldest, <coughs> Will, he was driving, I'm in the passenger car, Pat Ward talks a lot about those moments in the car, Again, just these everyday moments, and I never will forget. We're driving in the car with our oldest, Will, and I said, "Will, uh, you know, how was the senior retreat?" He said, "It was great." He was, he was dating this young lady in high school at the time. He said, "We, we, uh, at the retreat, we were mentored by this husband and wife couple who are teachers at the school. And they talked about their dating relationship, and we just want you to know that X insert girlfriend's name here, and I have established our physical boundaries." Well, suddenly he had my full attention. Right? <laughs> I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. Um, we decided that we were not going to touch any parts that were covered by a swimsuit. And like you, my first question was one piece or two. <laughs> <laughs> but it was this moment in time where, you know, you know, it was very vulnerable with each other. It was just really sweet. Uh, ben, during the moment of listening to his playlist, said, Dad, I've never told you before, but one of the reasons why I stopped dating X and her girlfriend's name here was because she was way too aggressive physically. Wow. 
another everyday moment, and again, I might get emotional <coughs> on this one, is um, in the spirit of John Trent and Gary Smalley <coughs> and the Blessed, only because my dad and mom used to do this with me, at night, I tried to consistently go up and say my voice in their bedroom. There's theories about never criticize them or reprimand them in their bedroom because they're safe place, but love them in their bedroom. When I give them a hug to tell them good night, I always say, I'm proud of you. That's my phrase, I'm proud of you. And um, I have written it in notes to them before. And Ben has Instagrammed or tweeted No, no matter how dark my day, one thing I can always count on is my dad to say, I'm proud of you. We haven't always agreed with the choices that the boys make, for sure. Ben has chosen to decorate his body with tattoos. He has two of them. Three. Three. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> that, we know, that we know of. <laughs> we found out about the second one through Patrick Chappelle, who's supposed to be doing his job as being a <laughs> <laughs> And Patrick said, I didn't realize you had such good handwriting. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, you don't know. <laughs> Great, Patrick. He said, I, what's up, Pat? I'm not telling you anymore. <laughs> well, I actually haven't seen it, but allegedly, allegedly, in my handwriting, Ben has right here on his chest. I'm proud of you. So I want to kill him for getting another tattoo. <laughs> but it's my handwriting. So what do you do? So the point there is just these everyday moments of showing up. Uh, Melissa Trevathan and Sissy Goff, who are two local counselors from Daystar, and Melissa is the founder of Daystar Counseling, wrote this book, The Back Door to Your Teen's Heart. And the whole thesis and premise is this. Just catch your child off guard. Don't, don't try to go into it and force a conversation. Just catch your child off guard doing what they enjoy doing the most and just start asking questions, open-ended questions, and see where it goes. Sometimes they'll shut you down and it won't work. Sometimes it may work. So, all right, Monty, you want to talk about spiritual moments? Yeah, sure. Let's move on a little bit. Um, so it's... I read a, a book... Early on, you know, again, trying to be a good parent, how a man can lead his family. But, and there was a lot of good stuff in there, but one of the things I remember most was that um, he made the point saying you have to lay down spiritual markers as well. I mean, we've been talking about a lot of things that we've done just, you know, to honor our kids. And in this case, it's also about honoring God. Um, it, it was... Wrong page. Doesn't matter. Uh, there are times in our lives where uh, you know we're not sure how we're going to have to make it through. You know, everybody has moments like that. I, I remember one where I, I was just sitting in an office, and I just you know for whatever reason life was stressful at the moment, and and I, I don't remember why. I don't remember the occasion, and. A uh, customer walks in and, have, you know, I'm not even sure why this came up. But anyway, he says, you know what? God has told me to tell, to tell you to read Romans 
Wow. All things will work together for those who love the Lord. And that may not, you know, that may, that's a little bit interesting anyway, but the interesting thing to me was I've never seen this guy before, never seen him since. But it was the exact message I needed to hear at that moment in time. And I felt like God really put that there. So I have marked that as a moment in time where I know that God was present, that God was active, that God was alive, and that God was working, okay? And so, and then there's, you know, there's, there's going to be others along the way, but in the, in the midst of these, from marker to marker, you know, when you're having these times that are hard to get through, you always have a fallback point that says, no, I know God was real here. I know God was active. I know that he is alive and well and good. And so it helps, I think, in our faith journey to be able to mark things along the way. And so I have been very, and we have been very intentional uh, on, and I also had another friend whose name was David Fitz. It's on the mountaintop experiences. And he is in a class just like this when I was young, uh, probably in the college age. And he just, he, he kept saying over and over again, in the mountaintop experiences with your kids, make sure that you mention God, that you talk about godly things so that their memory is about, you know, that God is in the good as well as some of the, you know, the valleys and things like that as well. And so I just wanted to quickly share um, one of the, just a real a mountaintop experience, and I try to always take this into account, but we, my girls and I were making, or two of my girls, Hannah and Hadley, we were, we were making a cross-country trip from San Diego to back to... Uh, to Indiana, and we were just stopping along the way, doing all kinds of fun little things. And and at this point, we stopped in Colorado, and we were um, taking a hike. And somewhere we just stopped, and we sat down in the grass. This isn't actually me, by the way. <laughs> Could be. Um, and in fact, we just we lay down in the grass and we we're looking up at the mountains like this and the sun and the, the warmth of the sun. And it was just one of those moments he just captured. And, and I just remember those words of, of my friend David Fitz. And I was like, you know, you know, and, and it was just such a natural conversation anyway. But, you know, this is a God moment. You know, and we talked about godly things in that moment because I wanted to mark it as this is this is big, you know, and I wanted God to be a part of that that moment and that event and so you know and, and just along the way whenever I get a chance or when we get a chance when we're having these mountaintop experiences we feel like we're trying to say this is God that God's in this God is in this event now the other side of it is you know they all we also have valleys we also have very low 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 points okay and you know we are going to wanted to share an experience because I think it's important that we talk about God in, in, the, in the highs, the mountaintops, but also in the, in the times where it's the most trying. Okay, because we've got to mark it all along the way, right? So Tanya's going to share with us a little bit, and then I'll come back and kind of finish up, because I think we're right on track. So. I'm going to try to share. Um, so our second daughter, Shelby, um, this was probably our lowest valley, so I'm going to really try hard to get through this. Um, she started dating this guy the beginning of her second year at Lipscomb. And they dated three or four months, and then they broke up. And he began to stalk her. He would be 
um, she would come out of class and she was like, I don't know how he ever goes to class because he's always there. And he would leave notes and gifts and everything at her work, at, on her car, everywhere. Um, and now at the time we didn't know that it was as bad as it was, but um, he even used this app on his phone that he would, it didn't show his number, it would like showed a different number and he pretended to be someone else and he was like, this was his mentor that um, was trying to help with, uh, it, was, it, it was just crazy, trying to help him through some hard times and wanted Shelby to get on board and help him through some hard times and not give up on him and, and you know, all this all stuff. It was him that was writing the text. Right, on this app. Um, so, as you can imagine, yes, it escalated, and it escalated to sexual assault. So we had to file a Title IX with Lipscomb, and um, they did kick him out of Lipscomb, and, um, but he would still be around. Even after he got kicked out, she would still go somewhere, and he was there. So then we had to go to court and get um, an order of protection. And I don't know if you've ever gone to court to get an order of protection. I hadn't. And the, um, just what they put her through going to just to get an order of protection was awful. It was the worst. And so at that point, Shelby did not want to go any further and file charges or do anything. She was like, I can't do that again. I can't go through that. So, um, you know, we spent a lot of time and I am the, the one that they come to whenever they're um, sad or need somebody just uh, hug them or love them just that way. And we spent a lot of time, um, we have a Tempur-Pedic Tempur mattress and we call it Tempur-Pedic time where we spend in bed watching Netflix, um, eating ice cream. <laughs> um, but during those times, Monty's gonna share some where we found God in the midst of those valleys. Right, so, you know, where, where, is, where is God? Where was God? You know, of course you asked that question. And we asked it. Because, you know, you send your daughter to Christian school, and hopefully that's a safe place to be, right? And this guy's actually a leader on campus, you know, so you think that maybe that's a safe place to be, but he, it wasn't. Uh, you know, and I just... There's a lot of philosophy behind that, and I'm not really going to address that. But, you know, Tanya cross-stitched for me a long time ago, just this little thing that says, you know, we're, we're not promised an easy life, but help to live it. And that's kind of where I come to, you know. And so, you know, the fact that it is that, it, that, that these events happened, uh, when, of course, they're devastating. But then you go back, now we've been away from this for, what, three years now? Um, and it's just been amazing the people that God has put into our life along the way. <laughs> to help her through it. Um, the counselor at Lipscomb was just amazing. Um, the fact even that we were living in Nashville was huge. We had just moved to Nashville about a year earlier, just to, it was kind of work related. But being able to be there for her, she was at school, 
And for her to be able to come home and live with us for a year to get back on track and still go to school, and she thrived. It's amazing that she was still getting A's and B's. And, and you know, but, you know, there were just, there were just so many things that, that God pulled together. And it was important for me, and it's important as I'm sharing this, I hate that we're kind of bringing it on a down, but it's because it's not. It really is, it's bad a situation, but it's good because God, God works in those moments too. And we got to mark that and say, God was present here. God was active. God was alive. God's real. And that, to me, helps and brings faith, you know, as, you know, we're going through the wilderness times, but it always ends up in a promised land, right? And that's where we end up, and that's where she is. She's in such a good place now. And so we wanted to share it from both sides, even though we have the mountaintops, but we also have the valleys and God's present in each one of those places. And we just have to mark it and say it and point it out because it's not that God's not there. You know, when we go on mission trips, sometimes we think we're bringing God to these people. It's not. We're really just saying God is already here and is at work. And we're just kind of pointing it out. So I think spiritual marker <laughs> means that we're pointing out the activity in the presence of God. All right? Questions or comments or... <clears throat> strategy that you've used thank you both that was really profound any questions or comments you know I Catherine and I say all the time uh, that parenting is hard you know and it there was no like uh, we are getting a new washing machine and we're giving our old washing machine to to Ben in his new apartment and we taped up yesterday pieces of the manual of the washing machine so that these boys would understand the different cycles of the washing machine. I'm confident they'll never, ever, ever, ever look at that. But we taped them up. But you know, parenting doesn't come with a manual, right? Nobody gives you one. And I just think it's important to be in a, a community and to learn from each other in terms of best practices. Has anybody used a, a rite of passage or best practice or anybody have a story they want to share about what's working or not working from their own parenting practice? You probably have better ideas than me. Anybody? Yes. I was wondering if anybody has tried, um, you know, dates with their daughters uh, as they yeah. get older to try to yeah. show them, like, the greatest and you know, demonstrate that when they are out looking for the person they want to spend the rest of their life with, you are modeling and setting a very high standard for that person. Yes, I feel very strongly about that. We did a, try to do a lot of that because I, I learned, and I don't know what it's like in today's world, but my girls were like fifth, sixth, seventh grade boys, seventh, eighth. I don't. They had no idea how to treat girls. They were not being taught in the home how to treat girls with any respect. With any, and, and, you know, I would come down, and it, was, it was, wasn't our girls in this case, but, I mean, there's like two kids lying down on my couch, you know, making out or whatever in seventh grade or sixth grade or something. I'm like, you're in my house. I mean, it's like, get up. And, and then I come back, and, it's, and, and 15 minutes later, it's the same way. And I'm just like, so I, you know, I had to sit down sometimes even with the boys and say, this is how I really want you to treat my daughter. And, but I had to go to my girls and say, here's how you should be treated and don't allow it any differently. And I tried to model that some on, you know, we would go 
on dates and do things like that. I think it's incredibly important for them to know how to be treated, to know that it's unacceptable to be treated badly. What about um, teaching your sons how to treat them? So Dave, <laughs> last night was homecoming dance uh, at the Robertson household, the final homecoming dance for the first time. And I realized Catherine reminded me, by the way, the reason Hank was a little nervous was because this was his first day. I'm like asleep at the wheel. Poor child, oh wow. <laughs> so I'm driving him to what I believe is you know, northern Kentucky where the, the girl lives. And, you know, we're, you know, rushing and, you know, we had to tie the tie and the whole deal and whatever. And I said, are you nervous? And he went, so for Hank, that's profound. <laughs> that's a lot of communication right there. And Catherine reminded me it was his first day. And, and before, before we had talked about, uh, look, in the, in the, in the girl's mind, this is her moment. She has seen every Disney princess on <laughs> demand. That's true. She is the Disney princess right now. And you're just some arm candy. And, and this is about her and not you. So you open the door and you pull out the chair and you ask, what do you think you're having for dinner? And you say, you know, can I get you anything else? And you learn those things and you realize that if you treat her with disrespect, number one, her father will kill you. And number two, then I will kill what's left. <laughs> but we, we do talk about that. Last night, it, at Homecoming Pictures, which was ridiculous, ridiculous, worse than paparazzi covering Beyonce. Ridiculous. Don't, don't do that. You were there. Uh, but a single mom, I asked her how she prepared her son. This was amazing. She said that she had made him watch YouTube videos of a dad describing his daughter's first day to get into his head how important this was to their family. And so these are just, the, the, the key thing here is in the moments of your fatigue and your tiredness and your stress and driving them to the AU and getting them to this and making the cookies and the cupcakes, in the moments of those, just be somewhat intentional where you can about marking time, reflecting on those mountaintop experiences and the valley experiences, realizing that God is there in that process. And then I think critically important is pushing them, just pushing them to the next stage, pushing them in a rite of passage way to the next stage. And then leave it, your job is to leave with them that fill that hole that Gary Smalley and John Tran talk about that says, you are good. Not because of how beautiful you are, not because of how talented you are, but because of God, who God uniquely made you be. You're good enough. I believe in you. And I am proud of you. And hope that they will write that on their heart and not on their left back. <laughs>